0: Welcome to Mandatory Redistribution Party. This episode is about video games. For millions, they provide entertainment, community, and escapism. Video games give us agency, the power to overcome any challenge with enough practice, something we rarely experience in our day-to-day lives. Their unique interactive qualities offer an immersive relationship with stories and worlds. While we don't think video games cause white supremacist shootings more than um, guns and white supremacy, there's no denying certain parts of the gaming community were fertile ground for the recent rise of the alt-right. So this episode, me and Sean ask, are video games fascist? And later on, we have a segment that finally answers the even bigger question: Pokemon, capitalist or communist? Someone someone said to me the other day that all video games are fascist. <laughs> Space invaders, bit fash,
1: bit anti-immigrant. One thing I found tough to deal with is like the fantasy genre is grounded in mm. fascism like when i looked back at tolkien and be like this is all about race real i mean race realism is baked in these are oh, different yeah, races yeah, yeah, yeah. and they are as different from each other as can be and need to be separate <laughs> you're over here this is over here yeah. and your patriarchal lineage really just determines who you are mm. some people are just evil like there's a race here and it's evil this is mm. an evil race and you've got all the building blocks of the ideology scape of the time that Tolkien lived in. But the tropes of fantasy genre has retained all of those.
0: Tolkien begat all the other fantasy. And then that fantasy Dungeons and Dragons system is the basis of all, Baldur's game. all the RPG games. Mm-hmm. The early RPG games were like the pen and paper games turned into computer games. So they, they inherited everything.
1: Don't I mean, it. of course, like, there are loads of fantasy stuff that bulks at these tropes and like has done lots of good work towards fixing them. But still, the fantasy genre laid out, what comes to your mind and what people still replicate time and time again has a, a fascistic worldview at, mm. at its very core. And that's quite hard to get around. And then you sort of marry that with the fact that loads of video games are violent and bloody in a way that always seems to be justified. Have you ever heard of... um? This is like my only game theory concept I like. Mm. It's neat. Have you heard of Ludo Narrative Dissonance?
0: Let me say what I think it is, and okay. you can just tell me I'm wrong. So it's like, well, you have a charming, quippy character who's like really likable, but they are a mass murderer. Because if you're playing the game, you know, say Uncharted, where Nathan Drake, who's this like quippy Indiana Jones guy, but in the game, he kills like three or 400 people. Right. Yeah. And then in a cutscene, he'll be like trying to avoid violence or not shoot the big bad, but he's just massacred a load of henchmen. Or to, you know, same. Yeah.
1: The mechanics of the game are at odds with the narrative the game's trying to tell you. But okay. it's an example that cuts through the whole FPS genre. You are given this likable person, mm. who and a, a moral person as well. They're normally like a moral. Mm. I mean, they're they're flawed or whatever, but they they are fundamentally moral. They are good. They are likable. They're your protagonist, mm. and yet they're walking through rooms and they are just opening fire on people. In cutscenes, they'll be like mortified if someone falls off a cliff. They'll still come and grab them at the last second. They want to preserve life. They mm. have the same morals as you. But the moment you go into level five, that's it. Just, <laughs> I'm going to spray. I'm gonna spra-. There's a game for Mega Drive I really like. It's like a Zelda clone called mm. Soleil. And a lot of it teases this idea that enemy monsters in it are actually sentient at the same level of intelligence and humanity that you wow. do. And you're like, oh, okay, this is going for a big reveal. And you go like to the next level. Oh, you st- I've still got to kill them. I'm still killing them, am I? Oh, I've still got to just mow through them to get through the level. That's my favourite example of ludonarrative dissonance because I've just been told that what I'm doing now is atrocious. But I can't complete the level without doing it.
0: When I was having this conversation, I think I was slightly drunk. But the only examples I could think of in the moment and bringing it back up now are still the ones that come into my head where I was like trying to say, oh no, not, not all video games are fascist. We seem to be going down. I tried to say, papers please, yeah, and a papers player. That is kind of the horror of border bureaucracy, and yeah, yeah sure. and, and and how someone, the player's choices are sort of all bad, mm-hmm. and it's that thing of like choices within a horrible structure are extremely limited. Yeah, you know, that's not. It's you not. You
1: play a border patrol agent in a fictionalized Soviet-style state, and if you choose to let people through who shouldn't necessarily come through, that could. Be taken out of your paycheck which will cause your family to fall ill and maybe starve
0: yeah but i don't think that game's fascist i think it's critique of border violence or kind oh, of bureaucracy that wait, yeah into. that's that's clearly the intent yeah, but you're doing and embodied not games here by
1: picking a game that yeah exactly bears that's very little resemblance to most the main games. trunk so, of what games are so
0: then like. yeah exactly i agree like I, example, th- I
1: think people who think that video games just means first person shooters are completely justified in doing so because that's where all the money is and also that's like there's a direct line of money going straight from the u.s army right into those games
0: yeah because they if you if you make a game that has like u.s army weapons when I mean, they they consult on it and stuff so that's why all the call of duty no it, it's, it's, really... it's
1: it's more than that mm-hmm. the u.s army will put out call of duty in their recruitment station.
0: Yeah, I mean, the drones drones are actually piloted with Xbox controllers, aren't they?
1: Well, why wouldn't you? They're, they're, yeah. The Xbox controllers have Windows USB compatibility. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Uh, the Xbox. But Elite of course, it does mean S- that control. anyone who currently is able to kill within a video game, is very <laughs> easy to just sink into this and go, well, this is the interface I know and and that body count. I've got to have a good kills per death. Well, and, I, and I have got a very good one because no one can kill. <laughs> I'm a drone. <laughs> they either are a bit right wing
0: in the being so murdery or they try to be apolitical and by doing that, accidentally end the up apolitical quite
1: political ones that are. But,
0: which we'll get to, but I'll, I just want to see what you think of my other two examples. So, Spec Ops the Line, which is years old now. Did you play that? No. Okay, so it has a really good, not really good, but really horrible bit in it where you use, like, I think white phosphorus, mm-hmm. it's a band type of weapon and you're you're being told that you're attacking the enemy and you're doing it in the same way of like earlier call of duty games like one warfare had it you're in the eyes of the protagonist looking at this machine yeah. but it does a couple of cool things where you're actually killing civilians yeah and i think i don't i'm not sure i actually haven't played it for years so it might be a trick and there might be no way to know they're civilians yeah or because you're just used to playing the game, you probably just go, yep, okay, I killed this, and you just click, yeah. and which is, I think, probably what I did. But I also remember there's, like, a reflection of the protagonist character's face in the screen oh, wow. of the machine, and then afterwards you realise what you've done and you have to walk through all the people you've just And m- is that murdered. manual
1: control? Mm-hmm. Ooh. So,
0: so I think that's really interesting. But again, exception, not the rule. The yeah. other one, and that's clearly intent. Because like that writers, makes me
1: think that was because... Call of Duty is the biggest one for being like actively, it's the most actively imperialist game and also one of the most profitable game series that's going. That had the No Russian level. Mm, You heard of that? Yeah, from Modern Warfare 2. Right. So No Russian is a level in which you were just invited to open fire on civilians in an airport.
0: But they, they said, "Oh, you didn't. You don't have to." Was like the defense, wasn't it?
1: Was it? Was was the mission not to? You're not supposed to kill them. You're just supposed to kill some assailants that are hidden within the crowd, possibly. But I mean, those assailants are like. So there are some people who like have guns and start shooting back at mm. you, but they are hidden within the crowd. So in order to like do the mission, you've got like, <laughs> to like you fire into the crowd. Um, I don't see it as optional as they're saying. If you want to complete it, you're going to shoot civilians. Yeah,
0: my third scraping the barrel example I could come mm-hmm. up with is stardew Valley fascist we were just making a farm I don't know maybe but but I was just trying to go okay so it's the shooty ones yeah the other one I could think of was like the, the new Wolfensteins because you're mm-hmm. killing Nazis but then they said to me the really interesting point it, it's still reinforcing violence like it's using obviously a Nazi is one of the most okay people to kill I mean, sure. that's a culturally accepted thing like an actual nazi yeah. swastikas but know, perpetrating the holocaust but they were they were saying like it comes from the premise that these people can never be de-radicalized and the only solution is their death.
1: Well hang on. So
0: so they were saying they were saying d- so d- I d- gave them an example of a game where you murder fascists as like, well that's not fascist because you're killing the Nazis. And they came back to me with, Yeah, but actually it is still kind of is though because Well ha- saying I'm you getting really confused here
1: because regardless of my own beliefs, I don't think the the idea that Nazis can't be de radicalised and therefore they need to be exterminated. I don't think that's a right wing belief. There's been loads of historical political violence on the left. Yeah. Violence on the far left has been one of the historically chosen options by loads of leftist groups. Oh,
0: uh, well, I think the person I was probably talking to would just use fascist universally to mean authoritarians. So they'd oh, so probably say Stalin horseshoe. and Lenin. Oh, they say Stalin. Not, not like horseshoe, just like authoritarian libertarian. So not the classic liberal horseshoe of Stalin and Hitler are exactly the same. The other one of going, well, they're both deeply authoritarian, which has, yeah. has more legitimacy to it, I think. Yeah. It's, it's not complete galaxy
1: brain. And I think there's a few legitimate understandings of what fascism means and that, that some of those can apply to Stalin. Yeah. Like the, the version I was taught, which is fascism is when you put nation before the individual to a point where things get fucked up. Mm. I mean, they didn't use that wording, yeah, but yeah. roughly that was my GCSE education. That works. Yeah. <laughs> you, that works. I added that bit to help myself stay focused. <laughs> Is violence inherently fascist? I don't know. And I don't like... Because we've all gone through the Nazi punching debate. There's a difference I mean, it's, between
0: milkshaking someone or even punching someone and shooting them through the brain.
1: I mean, the biggest question is, could you kill the Tsar? And <laughs> could you therefore understand the logical extension you need to kill the Tsar's children? Mm. Because the Tsar question is like, okay... <laughs> well, the Tsar question Fuck. is, Can could you take the life of a leader who was like responsible. Like cause the the Tsar actively ordered open fire on people. Mm. The Tsar was a murderer. Mm. It's it's like the trolley problem, but the train is also one of the people. <laughs> 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 it's, uh, it's a trolley problem, but like this guy's gonna shoot five people or you could just shoot him. Could I personally do it? Possibly not. I feel like I fall into a place where I don't I don't think I'm an absolute pacifist, but I'm not personally going to do anything. I don't have that in me. No, I haven't got
0: the guts to do that. Yeah, the logic you follow through is that well, yeah. if we kill the Tsar, then there can't be an heir, so we have to kill the Tsar's
1: kids. And, and that an was even. that was always a sticking point. The, the killing of the Tsar, I can I can I can get my head around because he's
0: morally culpable. He's made decisions of
1: things he's yeah, done. Whereas a, the kid is, is just bad, potentially he's not just morally culpable. It's that if there was any other circumstances, he will go on to kill more people. Mm-hmm. If he kills two more people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still feel deeply uncomfortable because the idea that anyone gets to choose who lives and who dies is a deeply uncomfortable thought, which is exactly why well, I want this art. Yeah. Which is exactly why I want this art to stop. But that's video games. Doing.
0: Video games are that the only choice. It's like that's a deeply a problematic choice. But then most games to succeed, you kill but
1: almost all games don't ask you to make any moral choice. Mm. They're just asking you to click on the targets. You're never asked to make a meaningful engagement with the story. But isn't the, that the cutscenes so, just show the movie? that well, I'm in a movie, and then I click on the targets to see the next movie. Mm. I'm not asked to make a moral choice about who's good, who's right, and what do I think about it. Yeah, I'm given I'm given a set of values, and then I click on the targets. But isn't that what makes it a bit? That's what makes it... yeah, propaganda. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But I, the, and the thing that would make it not fascist to propaganda as it goes here's a very complicated situation. Mm. What are you going to do? Also, there's a gun. <laughs> That's sort yeah. of it less fascist. Of course, people would use that to follow their fascist dreams within it, but maybe it wouldn't be as in, as inherently fascist. But again, I, I resist the idea that violence is inherently f- fascistic.
0: People like, fighting for freedom from empires.
1: Well, also, is, even, is totally even, just, even just a nut of it, I don't agree with going out with a machine gun and killing loads of people. Mm. It's not fascism, it's not good, but fascism's mm. not the right word. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've spent a lot of while defending things I'm very uncomfortable with. <laughs> I guess that's how you have to work out what it is you actually believe. But yeah, the the, the red line has to be like, if you kill the Tsar, I can get my head around that. It's like trolley problem, mathematical Mm. ethics, which I find deeply uncomfortable with, but I can get my head around it. You know, we can get our head around moving the train off of five people to kill one person. Mm. If someone did that, or someone prescribed to me that this was the way that this works, I can follow the internal logic. It's very simple. But then, and then we need to find the driver of the train and kill their daughter. i like, well, hang on. This trolley thing's getting way out of control. What levers doing this?
0: <laughs> trolley Problem DLC for Battlefield 1. Yeah, yeah. There's made a third by
1: Yeah. Third forbidden track. <laughs> they tried the... to get rid of that in the Western localization, but we've put it back in.
0: Do you think the Trolley Problem game exists?
1: <laughs> it's not very really long. I mean, you could make the Trolley Problem game incredibly easily. <laughs> we should make it. With only one button. You can only press it once. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Maybe all games are just violent then, rather than all games are fascist.
1: All games normalise violence as a principal option in dealing with complicated geopolitical problems.
0: Because it's an easy game mechanic to make.
1: Yeah. Negotiation? How on earth could you gamify peace talks? Yeah, You'd it's not need going to another be another as... actor. You'd need it would be incredibly expensive. There needs to be another actor who could like respond to you in real time.
0: The moment-to-moment gameplay is not going to be as satisfying as Devil May Cry, is it? With the you're right, yeah. <laughs> or like Dark Souls.
1: Yeah, and it's one of those things where the medium just requires you to move objects around, and if there's going to be any kind of conflict or obstacle, which is the basis of narratives and storytelling. The idea that I've got to get past loads of barrels. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, you know, you've got to get kick the shit out of all these boxes to get to the end of the room. It's like, okay, what's the story here? You, know, you bought too many boxes and you can't get around the house. <laughs> Whereas, you no, know, these people disagree with you and you've got to stop them. Or I can't negotiate with them because I don't know how to turn that into a game mechanic. I've got to slice them. I've got to chop them. I've got to throw them off a cliff. And then, of course, that feeds into adolescent power fantasies. And then if you give any kind of editorial control to one of the most imperialist forces on the world. <laughs> that of course, the whole thing's fucked. But that's why um, there's a more emergence of art games and stuff coming through and things that show that mechanics can be different to that. And I'd say five years ago, a lot of people just didn't talk about playing games because it was like the neckbeard virgin lives in their mom's mm. cellar kind of stuff. And that was like a stigma that was attached to it. So that even when like in the UK, video games was like this incredibly significant part of our economy like people like Jeremy Paxman would go, yes, but adults wouldn't play this. Like there was a news night thing (laughs) where someone talked about games. He's like, you fucking child, why don't you just grow up? Why don't you do what I do and just drink bitter? (laughs) (laughs) But now that's obviously, as people have gotten older and the people who play games are now getting older and dominating more of cultural conversation. We can talk about playing games. That means that we now have to openly have this conversation. What do we want to be in our games then? Because our video games are like as retrograde as like, old exploitation films our mm. video games are exploitation films they show the massacre of all kinds of people they show the. i mean it's hard not to objectify women when they are literally mindless bits of code <laughs> like they are yes. they are rendered as objects because they're not real like they're, they're not even an actress who who is portraying them this is just code there was a massive twitter thread about someone saying that lara croft actually was like empowering she wasn't like an objectifying mm. Figure she was the first female protagonist and we need to look up to that and i'm like lara croft the only reason lara croft was seems toned down is because no one had coming up with bayonetta yet like lara yeah. croft is absurd
0: well and also created by men to sell a product using female sexuality because the presumption is the consumer base is men
1: yeah so. lara croft is designed that if she was a real person she would have incredible back problems mm,
0: she'd fall down
1: like, she would have genuine trouble with her mobility. Yeah, she Never mind backflip, slaughtering a tiger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could never do that without proper support.
0: Yeah, a very impressive sports bra.
1: Mm.
0: I'm trying to think of other... Okay, I've done it. The Metal Gear Solid series. But again, that has really problematic depictions of women. But it at least... It does,
1: but it does at least go sneak, sneak through. I mean, that's the... Is that the yeah, thing What you're yeah, going Yeah, it's
0: like sneak through. There's like ways to do it just by tranquilizing people. But yeah. then there's bits written into the games where someone's like, you just love killing, don't you? Yeah. There's the bit where the computer goes mad at the end of Metal Gear Solid 2 where mm-hmm. the game just starts telling you to turn the console off because, yeah. you, you you know, what are you doing? This is just a video game. You shouldn't be doing this. Which really creeped me out when I was a kid because yeah. my name is the character's name. And it was like, turn the console off, Jack. And I was like, yeah. what the fuck is yeah. happening? Then in the third one, it has a bit where like snakes walking down a river and then the kind of ghosts of all the enemies you've killed in the game. Like if you haven't killed anyone yet, I don't think there is. Yeah. But but if you've killed people, they, they're like phantoms, like walk towards you screaming in pain. Yeah, That's a violent video game that's existed since the 90s that's mm-hmm. trying to say maybe this is
1: a bit more complicated. And it's also an incredibly revered video game. I really think people want that. That's all they want is a good game.
0: Critical acclaim, and they've all sold millions of copies. Mm. But he's also, I mean, Hideo Kojima's like the David Lynch of computer
1: games. He's an outlier, isn't he? Sure, sure, sure. But I mean, it's proof of concept that you could make games be fine. I mean, there's loads, like, there's been, in the world of like indie games now, there's Mm -hmm. loads of games about minority experience. For every like intersectional identity you could think of, someone Mm. has made a game in which you can experience some part of life from that and that's something i quite like if you yeah. take any of that standpoint view of you different people are situated within society to have information mm. understanding about society functions that other people can't have games can actually sort of shine a light on that you know i'd like to see a game where if things go wrong you don't die but you can become homeless and you have to try and like account your life that way I mean, wouldn't that be fucked? Like, to actually, there's loads of elements to being. You see someone who's homeless, and you think, I mean, I can see that that's like a hard existence. But there's going to be loads of elements which, unless you've lived it, you just don't know. You you can't understand what that's like unless you've lived that life.
0: And a game is, a, is going to give an approximation of obviously never the reality of it. I mean, if it feels really gorgeous
1: to say it would be a game like what you score points, while yeah, uh, yeah, for getting money off of people. But we're and, not game and,
0: designers, we're not. But I mean, a virtual could.
1: environment, a virtual environment can show you things that you can't live or experience in society within your own body
0: horror games are way more horrifying than horror movies because you're you're the character yes, in the game right. and you're like shit shit shit. Yeah. So I mean there's other kinds of horror instead of like pyramid head or some guy yeah. just made of swords coming after you you could have problems like that.
1: What like have you seen This <laughs> is literal survival horror. The horror is you have to su- you're trying to survive on the streets. Well you're just trying but- to survive. You're trying to survive as a as a person in society doesn't have it that easy. Like you know all those really horrible a white man dresses up in hijab or goes in blackface or just mm. or just get some cosmetic surgery so they can look like a woman for a day and be like and then they're like oh wow i thought it won't make a difference but actually it makes loads of differences in mm. loads of ways i just couldn't have predicted in advance oh, yeah, Well yeah because i didn't not? listen to Do any of
0: those people
1: <laughs> yeah so i just didn't yeah. listen to those people but now that i've personally had that experience yeah, yeah, yeah. and i'm a man <laughs> i now could say this is actually what it's like but actually Even though it's like a crude approximation, like virtual environments made by those minority people who know what that life is like Mm. can maybe make that feel real to people who would have a hard time understanding how me and that person live in the same world, yet we have so different experiences. Like what if you just pick different characters at the beginning, but you were given the same environment? Mm. I mean, an easy solution is just start reading some books. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've just realized books do this, but I think a lot of people don't engage with it in the same visceral way that you can with, minority experience VR. I would play the show. Though. I mean, it would probably go the same way as like David Blake, where people just doubt it. Yeah.
0: Daniel Blake, you mean? Daniel Blake. Um, oh, it's just a work of fiction. Like, yeah, but it's based on all this empirical
1: stuff. Yeah, people go, people look, I can it. show you all the stories that were recorded that were then yeah. just turned into the film. I, that would probably happen. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, they don't respond to the actual statistics in the first place, so I don't yeah, respond I mean- to a film based... Yeah, okay. Oh, I'd love a Ken Loach video game.
1: Ken, I mean, I really i'm thinking it would be a I hard really time wouldn't, though wouldn't it yeah. shoot cares at people <laughs> um, <laughs> launch it's like lynx boomerang vulcan blade yeah
0: <laughs> so i'm just thinking ken loach gets to make a cast video game and he's got all these amazing ideas but then for some reason the studio interference are just like no but what's the game mechanic's like, oh yeah. well you're just struggling you're like a working class yeah, just e- no no so, so can you so can the kestrel what's its attack range what Sorry, what?
1: Could you have an area of effect? (laughs) (laughs) How do you level up the kestrel? Yeah, and what if there's a crowd around you? Have got like a dodge or...
0: Yeah, yeah. And can you swap the kestrel out for other birds of prey, a golden
1: eagle? We need to stress that the cosmetics on the kestrel do not affect its ability in um, player versus player. Yeah, these are purely cosmetic DLC. Just get a different bird in the loot box. You can get a flamingo, but that's when you know someone's got the... uh, has (laughs) (laughs) as pre-ordered. <laughs> <laughs> you, see, then, you see someone walking around the server with a flamingo and it's like, no, I won't, won't mess with him. He's been here since the start.
0: <laughs> Ken Loach has to walk on stage at E3 with a flamingo on his yeah. arm. A live flamingo. Here's what you can get. <laughs> crap, it's going wild.
1: Definitive edition. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's 70 quid and you get an actual full-size flamingo oh wow be there's also the controller
1: and your level in the game is directly linked to the flamingo's heart rate so you have to keep it alive
0: yeah. but then the only thing that's left is there's one stat just called poverty
1: yeah that's nice that's the only level is concession poverty, yeah. that's the only concession to ken there should be a game where like your level is linked to your poverty and so you only level up by getting worse and it's just called race to the bottom <laughs> <laughs>
0: pokemon is short for pocket monsters magical creatures always willing to obey the whims of the first child who knocks them unconscious in the wild when Satoshi Tajiri's Pokemon reached Europe in 1999, my weak child mind was easily indoctrinated by the full-spectrum propaganda warfare. pokerganda if you will. You don't have to. There was a Pokemon cartoon. There was a Pokemon card game. Despite no one actually playing the card game, even the football sticker lads would speak with hushed reverence of the shiny Charizard that went for 100 quid in real comic shop. Most powerfully, there were two video games, Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue. I played Pokemon Blue on an original grey Nintendo Game Boy, a supposedly portable device so heavy and difficult to grip. It might have been my nan's obese cat if my nan's obese cat had not been run over by my uncle in 1998. The Pokemon video games, boosted by the cartoon, cards, and various other enchanting landfill, created a potent shared euphoria, a Pokemania, if you will. You don't have to. The desire to catch 'em all, as the slogan went, captured my imagination and those of my similarly weak, child-minded friends. Eventually, like any form of happiness, Pokemania ebbed away. But Pokemon did not disappear entirely, not from the world, nor from my mind. Like Pokemon artist Ken Sugimori's favorite creation, Gengar. Pokemon haunts me. Specifically, it haunts me from my friend Stee's Garage in 2004. In Stee's Garage, six years after Pokemania, and seven years after my uncle crushed his mother's plump cat, I was drunk on warm Strongbow and engaged in a healthy intellectual debate, a loud, embarrassing argument, with a person who believed Pokemon was, and I quote, Communist propaganda. I took umbrion, I mean Umbrage to this claim. The one thing that might make me love Pokemon even more would be if Pokemon was communist propaganda. Let's make every Pokemon game Pokemon Red. My drunk 2004 self contested, Pokemon is not communist, Pokemon is capitalist. Whilst I have forgotten almost everything I learned that year at school or any year, This side of your disagreement with a stranger is etched into the bones of my brain because, dear listener, I think I was wrong. And no haunting is more powerful than your own mistakes. So let's get into it. Is Pokemon communist or capitalist? Side note. Uh, Before we consider whether the world of Pokemon is communist or capitalist, I have to lay down some rules. My first uh, stream of consciousness draft of this segment sprawled over 5,000 words. The later heavily researched and quote-laden draft mega evolved to over 8,000 words. I had still not decided if Pokemon was communist or capitalist and got really confused. I decided that, like a thrown Pokeball, it was getting out of hand. I'm going to restrict myself to the original 90s Pokemon games, red and blue. When you're deciding if something's communist, you gotta decide what communism is. We can't just start comparing Pokemon to Soviet Olympic athletes. Forcibly pumped full of performance enhancing drugs and undergoing rigorous training to defeat others in physical competition. We're deciding whether Pokemon was communist, not the Soviet Union. So what is communism? Briefly, communism is a system of social organization in which property is owned collectively by the people and each person contributes and receives according to their ability and needs. This principle was most clearly articulated by Karl Marx in his 1875 critique of the G- Gotha program, Gotha program, I've never known how to pronounce that.
2: From each according to his ability, to each according to his needs, said Karl. Explore the entirety of the Pokemon games
0: and you will find that poverty seems to have been eradicated. Not only are there no homeless people in the Pokemon world, there are no slums or low quality housing of any sort. Could housing be provided according to need rather than wealth? Rent extraction to property owners is a major feature of class society that the Pokemon world seems to have transcended. In the entire script of the Pokemon games Red and Blue, there is not a single mention of the word rent or mortgage. There are, however, 20 appearances of the word bill. But they don't refer to a bill of money owed for goods or services, but a character in the game called Bill. Even healthcare is provided based on needs in Pokemon centers in almost every town. Returning to Bill, he brings us to the nature of work in the Pokemon world. Bill is a Pokemon researcher, widely respected as a talented inventor of the Pokemon storage system. People, including Bill himself, lovingly refer to him as a Pokemaniac because of his large collection of Pokemon. Bill is just one of many who devote their labour to learning, to improving the world, or following their interests. The majority of workers don't seem to be motivated by wages or profit. One of the few examples of working Pokemon that doesn't adhere to that would be the shopkeepers in Pokemarts. But we're never shown whether this is definitely wage labor. They might just be doing it because they love the Pokemon or serving their community. Even then, they are the exception rather than the rule. The need to sell labor power to an employer, to rent your body and mind in order to survive, is a defining feature of capitalism. Wage labor is not just absent in the Pokemon world, it seems alien to their social values. There are no banks in the Pokemon world, no landlords, quite possibly no capitalist class at all. The vast majority of people you encounter in the Pokemon world, from bug catchers to hikers, are engaged in what under capitalism would be defined as leisure. Labour, in the Pokemon world, doesn't seem to be driven by market forces. It's not about maximising profit, and there seems to be much greater freedom in how people spend their time. Alongside the absence of poverty, rent extraction or wage labour, the Pokemon world has other communist characteristics. The world of Pokemon seems to be a world without law enforcement, without borders, without the state. The world is divided not into nations, but borderless regions, which anyone can move freely across. There are no visible administrative apparatus or government buildings, no prisons, no police stations, no courthouses. All the states that have existed, that have styled themselves as communist in our real world have been exactly that. States with defined borders and authoritarian governments. The world of Pokemon seems to have unchained
2: itself from these repressive institutions. The withering away of the state has long been a communist objective. Engels wrote that the society which organizes production anew on the basis of free and equal association of the producers will put the whole state machinery where it will then belong into the Museum of Antiquities, next to the spinning wheel and the bronze axe. In the world of Pokemon, there does seem to be no state.
0: However, there is a group in the Pokemon world that aspires to very uncommunist things. Team Rocket. They seek to monopolize violence and assert dominance over others. There are two appearances of the word profit in the Pokemon games, both in a slogan in Team Rocket's hideout
2: Steal Pokemon for profit, exploit Pokemon for
0: profit. As part of the plot, There's these ancient Pokemon fossils that ordinary people see as valuable in themselves, but Team Rocket want to steal them and sell them for profit. They want to turn them into commodities. Team Rocket are definitely not communist. Their objectives are a caricature of capitalism. The thing is, they're depicted as morally abhorrent. They're the villains in the game, the baddies. Their desire for profit then is a transgression from the norms of the seemingly anti-capitalist Pokemon world. Also, despite their threat and their own use of violence, their existence isn't used to justify a police force or a state. The cops don't take out Team Rocket, a child vigilante does. So the Pokemon world is one that seems to adhere to the communist Maxim of, from each according to their ability, to each according to their needs. Wage labor, profit and rent seems absent. The state seems to have withered away. Perhaps my opponent in Steve's garage back in 2004 was correct. Pokemon is communist propaganda. Maybe that's why everyone under 35 is a communist. Except the ones who are fascists. But we have to go deeper. We gotta pull a diglet out of the dirt and see what's underneath. There's a lot about the Pokemon world, which rather than communist, seems like generically utopian or even dystopian. Kids roam free at age 10 with no fear of creeps there seems to be no illness of any kind like no disease not even a broken bone sure there's free healthcare but only actually for pokemon we don't see humans using the pokemon center it's called the pokemon center this raises some questions is human illness just totally absent from this world is everyone immortal do they all stay the same age what's going on you hardly ever see old people but loads of kids is there some sort of unspoken cull if you add up All the cities and towns, like the entire population of the Kanto region. The total amount of people in Pokemon Red and Blue is 391. But where is everyone? If you get this and then combine it with the cultural obsession with leveling up, meritocratic battles and evolution, the ideology of the Pokemon world might actually be eugenics. Or social Darwinism. Or, you know, maybe there was a nuclear apocalypse that mutated all the animals into Pokemon and wiped out all but the most powerful humans. Who knows? A fundamental goal of communists is collective ownership of the means of production and workers' self-management. Authoritarian socialist states think because their government is called communist, they represent the workers, and therefore state ownership of the economy makes it communist. I'm not so sure about this. But as we see no state apparatus in the Pokemon world, It doesn't follow that kind of communism at the same time we definitely don't see much evidence of collective ownership of the means of production or worker democracy despite the agency of individual workers there's also money like if there's money in the pokemon world this suggests that goods and services are not given and taken according to ability and need but markets whoever has more money to spend determines production and distribution this isn't very communist but then the existence of money is just one aspect of the Pokemon economy. The poke economy, if you will. You don't have to. Let's address the Donphan in the room, or the Snorlax in the room, or the Waylord in the room. Pokemon are slaves. Oh, what a new idea. It's not the, the, it's new. the Pokemon world is not capitalist, it is a slave society like ancient Rome. Slavery is even worse than wage labour. And wage labour is one of the defining features
2: of capitalism. It's how most workers undertaken. Although obviously the kidnapping and enslavement of millions of Africans was pretty important to capitalism's early development.
0: Sure, human society in the Pokemon world is a utopia. Any slave society is a utopia for the masters in the same way capitalism is a utopia for, I don't know, Alan Sugar. We've just been looking at the ruling class, the Pokemon masters, blind to the suffering of the working
2: Pokémon they exploit. The Poketariat, if you will. Although that doesn't really make sense because proletariat means the working class. It's not just any exploited class.
0: There's a counter to this argument. Pokémon can't be slaves because Pokémon aren't human. Pokémon are animals. They're part of nature, a resource. If a Miltank is a slave, so is a cow. If a Torchic is a slave, so is a chicken almost every vaguely left person I've met is somewhere on the vegan spectrum. But mainstream socialist thought historically hasn't had much focus on animal rights. We've all come across that person that says things like, I actually kind of prefer animals to humans. Every now and then some American billionaire shoots an endangered rhino and you get to see the two waves of comments. Wave one. Sympathy for the dead animal, usually with suggestions the killer should be hunted themselves wave two people complaining that wave one are more outraged by one dead rhino than the thousands of humans that died that day from i don't know bombs in yemen animal rights it tends to be the focus of defense of animals and that's a very liberal idea and i'm talking about rights here not not animal rights rights isn't is a concept that is a bit slippery for socialists never mind specifically animal rights so this is the weeds um and I'm going to solve this problem in the way 1990s politicians solved climate change, by ignoring it. Returning to the Pokemon world, the fact of the matter is, Pokemon are exploited. And even if they are not human, I'm going to say that's not communist. These sentient beings are captured in the wild, confined to a ball a few inches wide, and bent to the will of their owners. Once captured, Pokemon fight other enslaved Pokemon till they or their opponent lose consciousness. While their trainer, their captor, their master, maybe as young as 10, earns money and respect for their efforts, the Pokemon gets nothing. Like I said, you know, under capitalism, at at least the Pokemon would get a wage. Maybe we see that as experience points, but it's like the way business owners are fawned over despite their success and wealth being totally dependent on the labor of the workers. In stark contrast to the Hobbesian notion of the state of nature in which life is nasty, brutish and short, Pokemon in the wild never fight each other. They only fight when compelled by humans, either when enslaved or to prevent their enslavement. The compulsion to fight is imposed upon Pokemon by humans and it's the humans who gain. Pokemon are pitted against each other as individuals isolated in their pokeballs this atomization and emphasis on individual competition rather than solidarity between pokemon is a defining feature of liberal capitalism but pokemon aren't just valuable to the humans when they fight each other they're also seen to have value in and of themselves this again indicates a slave society where workers themselves become commodities to be bought and sold rather than just buying and selling their labor power The maxim of the Pokemon games is to catch them all. True victory is achieved not by making Pokemon fight, but by accumulating as many as possible. Only six of 151 Pokemon can be carried by the player at any time. The rest must exist in a computer system designed by Bill, a digital dungeon where it's not clear if the Pokemon are even permitted consciousness. These Pokémon can be traded with other trainers in the game or with other real-world players, or they can be added to the player's party to fight. They either exist as a commodity, or their labour is used to increase the wealth and status of their human master. The class divide between Pokémon and their masters is never addressed. Despite wild Pokémon fiercely resisting capture and enslavement, their servitude is depicted as both natural and good. Humans, from random NPCs to key characters, regularly talk about how much they love their Pokémon. This is creepy. And this love isn't reflected in the game mechanics at all. Obviously there's no like love button, but things you do that might represent love in the game, like what comes closest to it, uh, aren't that. Yeah, you can feed your Pokemon candy, but that just levels them up so they become stronger fighters. Yeah, you can heal them when they're hurt, but that's just so they can fight again for you. Like Grimly, it's not just the humans, the ruling class of the Pokemon world who have bought into this, but the Pokemon themselves, we see no evidence of resistance or organization, largely because of measures in place to prevent this. Pokemon are kept isolated, and when they're not, they have to fight each other. This is because Pokemon society is dominated by the ideology of the ruling class. Once they are successfully captured, Pokemon seem to have no consciousness of their exploitation. It's hard to measure because they don't have much freedom to do so, But this is a useful thing to think about. So consciousness, in the Marxist sense, refers to a class's ability to politically identify and assert its will. The closest thing to resistance we get from a captured Pokemon is that they'll disobey their trainer if they are too high a level. But they'll obey again if the trainer has enough gym badges. So they just need someone really powerful to repress them. But generally, Pokemon obey. They fight each other rather than rising up against their true enemy, the trainer class. Pokemon might be victims of false consciousness. Engels used the term false consciousness to describe how the ideology of a ruling class is embodied willfully by a subordinate class. Unfortunately, restricting ourselves to the games in which Pokemon can only communicate with terrifying digital screeches, we cannot really know their thoughts. Right up to now, we've looked at things from the perspective of the human and Pokemon inhabitants of the world, from the ruling class and the underclass. For humans, the Pokemon world does have some communist elements. You know, things communists might be enthusiastic about. The state seems to have withered away. Borders are nowhere to be seen. Workers aren't compelled to sell their labor power to survive. Uh, And people are encouraged to pursue their interests rather than simply profit. Uh, Poverty seems to have been eradicated. So it looks good for the humans. But then we've said from a Pokemon's perspective, the world is one of enslavement and violence. Pokemon desperately resist their capture by the human ruling class. Um, They are prevented from rising up by imprisonment in individual Pokeballs, only released to fight against other Pokemon with whom they should have solidarity. Instead, they act in service of the ruling class, their true enemy who claims to love them. So let's take a different perspective. Instead of the humans or the Pokemon, let's consider the perspective of ourselves, the player. As the player of Pokemon Red or Blue, you are never encouraged to question the exploitation of Pokemon. You can either adopt the values of the ruling class or turn off the game or, you know, play it really badly and just talk to people in palette down. The narrative is about competition and meritocracy. It follows the struggle to become the best, which is super bourgeois, liberal, and also kind of fash. Even among the humans, there's little solidarity or collective goals other than the shared goal of enslaving Pokemon and fighting them against each other. Exploiting the labor of others for your own gain, pitting the exploited against others of their class. Like, this isn't just capitalist, it's an aspect of any class society. Ancient Greece, feudal France, you know, take your pick. But the other aspect of this game is accumulation taking Pokemon from the wild and placing them in a new way of being. Now this part's pretty capitalist in your quest to catch them all you as the player are engaged in what Marx called primitive accumulation. Primitive accumulation is the process by which things that exist outside capitalism, like Pokemon chilling out in the tall grass, are transformed and brought into capitalism. Like when Pokemon are captured and made to work to generate profit for their masters in capital, Marx
2: writes. The discovery of gold and silver in America, the extirpation, enslavement and entombment in mines of the aboriginal population, the beginning of the conquest and looting of the East Indies, the turning of Africa into a warren for the commercial hunting of blacks, signalled the rosy dawn of the era of capitalist production. These idyllic proceedings are the chief moments of primitive accumulation. That's what you spend a lot of your time doing in
0: Pokemon. Liberalism, which is the core ideology of capitalism based on individual rights, including the right to private property, thinks primitive accumulation is pretty great. Liberals like Locke and Bentham and Malthus think that making everything part of the market is good, you know, because people treat things better if it has a market value, you know, leaving Pokemon to their own devices by this logic would actually be irresponsible because only a human master can realize their true value, their market value. So, to wrap up, is Pokemon capitalist or communist? Well, it's definitely not communist, but I don't think it's capitalist either. So, not only was 2004 drunk me wrong, so was my 2004 conversation enemy. Mm-hmm. Pokemon has some communist elements for the humans, sure, and it also has some capitalist elements, but a lot of the latter are seen in other class societies. But Given that primitive accumulation and the whole catch-em-all thing, I'd say the closest real-world thing to Pokemon would be the transition from feudalism to capitalism. If I'm being really honest, I don't think we can answer this at all without deciding if exploiting Pokemon, which are basically magical animals, is the same as exploiting humans. All right, don't ask me that one. Ask the RSPCA, the Revolutionary Socialists for Pokemon, Communism and arguing. Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. Our title theme was created by Elegy. Other music in this episode created by Jack Evans, inspired by Junichi Masuda. If you enjoyed this episode, you should subscribe and tell your friends about us. You know, presumably they trust your recommendations and have similar tastes to you. So you're doing them a favour. Good luck. Goodbye.